For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Okay. Uh, good evening, everyone. Cool to be here tonight. Uh, so, many people here have done Dharma talks, so you know when Tigan asks you to do a talk, then you have to struggle with what to uh, what you're going to talk about and I'll tell you the truth um, I feel less and less like talking these days so uh, I feel like I'm getting quieter and quieter as I'm getting older um, I live alone with two very quiet cats, <laughs> and uh, I rarely bother to put in my hearing aids when I don't need to, <laughs> and I just love sitting with all of you tonight, um, and uh, this is not false modesty, but I feel like my talking will not be an improvement on the silence of the Zendo. <laughs> this is a talk about silence. Um, so I guess you're allowed to chuckle if I say it's a talk about silence. <laughs> a couple of people yesterday did when uh, they asked me what the talk was going to be about. So this idea came to me uh, in a poetry workshop I did a few weeks ago. And um, Jane Hirschfeld said, poems exist to hold what cannot be said in more ordinary. But the actualities of our lives are immense beyond naming. To think the unsayable can be said would be hubris. So she's putting it out there that there's this category of truth that is unsayable. Um, you probably know that Hirschfeld um, was a Tassahara resident for a number of years when she was a, a young woman. And, and she didn't write during those um, years at Tassahara, but um, she is a fine poet and, and she is, she's published um, many books of her poetry and um, some excellent books about poetry. And um, in my opinion, there are not a lot of good books about poetry. Uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of books about poetry, but anyway, my my favorite 
uh, of Hirschfeld's is, uh, is called Ten Windows, How Great Poems Transform the World. And I bought that book before I knew anything about her uh, or her work. I bought it on the basis of that title. I, I love this idea that great poems transform the world. And um, anyway, so uh, she once published a poem with the title, My Silence. Um, those two words, my silence, are the entire poem. And um, so talking about this, she said, or she wrote, my poem was genuinely, honestly written. It holds an unsayable grief. So she's using that word again, unsayable. She goes on to say, um, it's invisible ink depends on the reader recognizing that the whole book, meaning the book of poetry that this two-word poem was published in, is the context for that silence. So it's a book, it's a it's a book of strong poems about grief and loss, and uh, and she's challenging the reader with her two words, her silence. The context. So I think it's interesting that poets and musicians um, often talk about silence. Uh, Miles Davis famously said, it's not the notes you play, it's the notes you don't play. Mm. <laughs> and, and many years early, Claude Debussy uh, said, music is the silence between the notes, which is kind of the same thing. So anyway, at the end of this talk, I'll read a few other poems about silence by some other poems were in that workshop, but I just want to say a few other things before that. So there's probably no such thing as total silence until we're dead. <laughs> at least I assume when we're dead, there's total silence. Uh, but many years ago, I paid a lot of money uh, to be put in a sensory deprivation tank for an hour of complete darkness. And with no sound, no smells, no taste, no sights, just like the heart <laughs> sutra. <laughs> and uh, I was floating in this warm water, so there was sensation on my skin. And uh, they had told me that, um, you know, they made a lot of claims that this would uh, reduce stress, improve sleep, enhance creativity, and so forth. Well, I liked it quite a lot. Um, it kind of surprised me because I'm, I'm mildly claustrophobic, but um, I came out of it uh, relaxed and alert. And uh, so I did like it. It was way too expensive for me to do it again. So I can't really, you know, it was just a, a one-time experience. But that's probably the quietest place I've ever been. And But these days... I am seeking out quiet, silence, stillness. Um, I think I distinguish between um, the kind of silence 
or quiet or stillness that's like out on a trail in nature where there are some birds singing and maybe some insects buzzing and leaves rustling and so forth. But it's still between that kind of silence and the kind of stillness that we had in the Zendo tonight or the the stillness of that uh, sensory deprivation tank. Um, These days I have tinnitus. Uh, which you probably know what that is. Um, uh, I have a constant buzzing and humming in my ears. So when we're sitting together in a silent zendo, uh, my zazen is accompanied by this loud buzzing constant. It doesn't go away. No one else can hear it. And I'll tell you, if a genie ever appeared and granted me three wishes, I'd be pretty tempted. Peace on Earth would be right up there, but I'd be pretty tempted to try to say, get rid of this buzzing in my ears, spend one of my wishes on that. Um, So, I mean, I've learned to tune it out. I've had this for many years. Um, but it's a constant annoyance and it's debilitating when I let it be. And I think the world is like that. It's full of noise that's hard to avoid. It's impossible sometimes to avoid it. And, um, there's a lot of evidence that it's harmful, it's toxic, it's stressful. It's, I mean, the World Health Organization said noise pollution is the modern plague. Um, and there's and there's also good evidence of the opposite. You know that that silence is healing. And uh, I found this great study. Uh, it, it's not. It, it was in a, a real scientific journal called Brain Structure and Function, and they were testing mice for the effects of um, listening to music. So and they were re- they were looking at the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain that regulates learning and remembering and emotions. Pretty important part of our brain. And um, so they came to this surprising con- conclusion that. Uh, Certain types of music were found to soothe the mice as effectively as silence. But as time went on, only silence was found to actually create new cells in the hippocampus and literally grow the brain. So as an aging person, I find this hopeful. It's like, wonder what if this is why I'm craving silence so much these days. I need more brain cells. Um, but we don't, as I said, you know, we don't really need a study to tell us this. I mean, we are experiencing this all the time. I I, I went to a play at Goodman uh, a couple of months ago, and there was a character in that play who had been in prison for five years. And uh, 
he said that the absolute worst of it, the part that he experienced as torture, um, was the constant loud noise 24-7. And that character actually committed suicide in this play when he thought he was going to be returned to prison because he could not face that noise. And um, I'll just say, because, well, I'll just say this noise hurts a lot of other beings besides humans. Um, Birds can't hear each other to find a mate or to declare their territory. Um, One of the most upsetting things is the noise that we uh, impose in the oceans, um, seriously harming whales and dolphins and sharks and octopuses and all the marine bodhisattvas who depend on sound for their survival. Um, they're just bombarded with their nasty noise 24-7, just like that prisoner. Anyway. I'm I'm ashamed of that cruelty. So anyway, after I decided on this topic of silence, I I decided to look into it uh, to see what other people had said. And uh, I discovered an amazing Norwegian named Erling Klaga. I'm not exactly, oh, Kaga. Oh, see, I've spelled him wrong here. Kaga, K-A-G-G-E. I'm not sure that's the right way to pronounce it. His book is called Silence in the Age of Noise. And uh, this is a really fascinating man. He has deep adventurer credentials. He's the first person, maybe he's the only person, to go to, to walk on foot to all three poles of the globe, meaning the North Pole, the South Pole, and the summit of Mount Everest. (laughs) Mm. And uh, he says he's an expert on silence by virtue of having once spent more than 50 days trekking alone without radio contact to the South Pole in Antarctica. So I found his book at the library, and I really recommend it. He got my attention when he wrote, I believe silence is the new luxury Silence is more exclusive and long-lasting than other luxuries. So I'm thinking, wow, this is a luxury I don't have to be stingy with. It's like uh, one of my favorite aphorisms, the best things in life are free, if we can find it, of course. So according to Kage, Sandra Kage, oh, that's funny. Uh, He says... um, We live in the age of noise. Silence is almost extinct. He advocates a full pursuit of silence. You must create your own, he says. And I thought, well, that's what we're doing here. (laughs) We're 
creating our own silence in this noisy, noisy world. And I'm so grateful for the silence that, that we're creating uh, with each other and for each other. It's, it's a balm. So I, I could go on and on quoting him. He talks about places in Europe where people pay a lot of money to go like you would go into a nightclub, they go into these places to be quiet. They could come here for free, of course. Anyway, uh, I found another really interesting book by a man called George Prochnik. And his his title of his book is is very similar. Uh, it's a different book. I didn't I didn't read it. I only read parts of it. But in pursuit of silence, listening for meaning in a world of noise, 2010. So um, he gives a beautiful anecdote about a painter friend of his. Um, so I'll just read this paragraph. When he was a small child, Adam suffered an illness that left him profoundly deaf for several months. His memories of that time are vivid and not, he insists, at all negative. Indeed, they opened a world in which the images he saw could be woven together with much greater freedom and originality than he'd ever known. The experience was powerful enough that it helped steer him toward his lifelong immersion in the visual arts. And he was quoting Adam. Sound imposes a narrative on you, and it's always someone else's narrative. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? It's something to think about. I'm thinking, yeah, well, so we're sitting in silence to, like, escape someone else's narrative. Um, Anyway, my personal favorite genius of silence is John Francis. I don't know. Do people know John Francis? Uh, He was... uh, he was a kind of a folk hero in the environmental counterculture in the Bay. <laughs> uh, he, um, he witnessed two oil tankers collide under the Golden Gate Bridge in 1971. Mm-hmm. And uh, the shocking, and he saw half a million gallons of oil get spilled into the Bay. And uh, he vowed that day that he would never, ever drive or ride in a vehicle that was um, powered by uh, fossil fuel. He walked or he biked. And and he says he also argued with people about environmental problems that he saw. Um, He was angry. He was upset. Uh, But he said his his words had uh, no effect. That was his assessment. And then on his 27th birthday, he had an epiphany, and he decided to have a day of silence. He spent that day not talking, and that's when he said he began listening, and he began learning. Um, and, And he writes in his memoir that the next day he decided to continue his silence, the silence and his non-riding in vehicles lasted for 17 years. And during those 17 years, 
He walked from the Bay Area where he lived to Washington State, where he earned his bachelor's degree in environmental studies. And then he walked uh, to uh, Oregon, where he got his master's degree. And eventually he walked to Madison, Wisconsin, where he got his PhD. And he became this acknowledged world expert on oil spills. Uh, uh, he was a, it's still not speaking, um, in ad advising uh, various governments and governmental agencies. It's quite a story. Um, it's even more impressive when you know he's an African-American man who walked across our entire racist country playing his banjo and not talking. <laughs> so if you haven't heard him, check him out. His his. If you don't have time to read his memoir, which is fascinating, there is a TED Talk that he does. He's talking now. He began to talk uh, after he went to, um, I think it was Venezuela, somewhere in South America, as a consultant and had another epiphany and decided it was time for him to start talking. And he, he explains it very beautiful. Anyway, John Francis. Um, so a couple weeks ago, when I was thinking about this, uh, talking about silence, I learned that the study material for our upcoming practice commitment period is the Vimalakirti Sutra. And I thought, oh, that's great. Uh, it's about a lay practitioner. I haven't read it for a long time, but uh, I thought, oh, that's wonderful. We're all lay practitioners pretty much. And then I remembered that silence is what Vimalakirti is known for. So here's a spoiler alert. Um, in the kind of climactic scene in the sutra, all these bodhisattvas, 31 of them, all are holding forth about their understanding about non-duality and using many, many words to do that. And then when it was his turn, Vimalakirti remained silent. And this is usually referred to as Vimalakirti's thunderous silence. And uh, Manjushri applauds him and proclaims that Vimalakirti has indeed demonstrated that the entrance into non-duality is beyond all sounds, syllables, and conceptions. So this is another way to say what Jane Herschel calls the unsayable, right? Um, so I hope that entices you to sign up to participate in the practice commitment period. Uh, I'm going to close with um, a few short poems. So we're in the, about the last third of our Chicago winter. So I'm going to start with Summer Haiku by Leonard Cohen. Silence and a deeper silence when the crickets hesitate. Yesterday, Sarah Lytle gave a beautiful Dharma talk and uh, she read a poem by Rainer Maria Rilke. So I thought I'd include a line from one of his poems. Since I've learned to be silent, 
everything has come so much closer to me. And I'll end with a haiku by the great Japanese poet Basho. Ancient pond, a frog jumps in, and great silence. Now, so it's time for discussion, and I probably discouraged you to speak up. <laughs> uh, but honestly, I'm eager to hear any thoughts you have. Uh, but I'd be pleased if maybe we had just a few minutes of silence or so before that. So I think you can raise your hand online or speak up in the Zendo. David. Just a quick question. The name of the book by the Norwegian author, what is the name of that book? In the Age of Noise. Oh, Silence in the Age of Noise. And his name is Erling K-A-G-G-E. Kaga? I don't know Norwegian. Silence in the Age of Noise. Silence in the Age of Noise. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's a very sweet book. He, he's, he's quite a guy. He's like a lawyer and an architect and like every other dang thing you can think of. <laughs> Cookies, people. <laughs> Important business. <laughs> Wait. So I, I've struggled with noise my whole life. I'm fairly sensitive to it. Um, I don't know what it is. It just has a huge psychological impact on me. Um, when there's too much, can't get away from it. So I lived in New York City for four years. And it was, it was like that prisoner that you were talking about, just not, not a blessed moment of silence, no matter where you were. Um, one of my apartments, I was on the 30th floor of a high rise. And you would think that might get you above. <laughs> no, absolutely. You hear every car horn. That's, I mean, that's 300 feet in the air. Every car horn, every siren, people yelling on the street. I could hear them. And the, I remember vividly this one night, I almost, I was already sleeping with um, <laughs> earmuffs on. I, I bought them. I was, I was in school to be a gardener at the time. So I bought them for chainsaw work. Um, and they were from people who go to shooting ranges to protect their, I was already sleeping with those on. And jackhammers started up at 11 p.m. 
I I was almost in tears. I spent like two hours on the phone with the city, (laughs) a very uninterested city worker uh, telling me that they paid for a noise variance. (laughs) (laughs) Who did they pay? They paid the city $500 for a noise variance to make as much noise as they wanted any time that they wanted. And I I was almost in tears for that whole week that the noise variance lasted. Um, And my mental health improved so much when I moved back to Chicago. Again, a big city, hardly silent, but it's not New York. So I definitely definitely fully understand that. you know, people tell me that I, I've taken a lot of car trips to and from Nashville, for instance, and I love doing them by myself. And quite a few times I've done the whole thing just totally silent. I haven't listened to music, haven't listened to a book on tape, haven't called anyone on the phone, um, just me in the corn for eight hours. Yeah, corn, uh, cars are like a zen though. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. It's pretty, pretty, right, but I get these looks like I've grown a second head. <laughs> Um, that I could spend eight hours in total silence driving somewhere. Um, anyway, it, it resonated. Your talk resonated with me, so thank you. I, I, I have to say your description of living in New York is, I think, what those whales and dolphins and <laughs> yes. sharks are experiencing. They just cannot escape it in that vast ocean. It's, yeah. uh, it's horrifying to think of. Oh, I can't even get moths. <laughs> I think I think in some ways, honestly, it made me a worse person because it was so difficult. I was so unhappy and so frustrated that I was just not being as present to my relationships as I as I should have been because I was feeling so just like under attack all the time yeah, by this, stress. by the stories. And I think moving to Chicago for that reason alone, among others, but has made me a kinder person just because I have the capacity to hear what I'm thinking, to know what to do. Yeah. Someone, someone, so it sounds crazy to move to Chicago for quiet, but someone <laughs> explained to me um, fairly recently how noisy the uh, farm fields are because of all of the mechanization and that actually the cities are less um, noisy. That I, I guess that's not all times of year, but in many times of year. Mm-hmm. So it really... I wouldn't live right by the L tracks, but <laughs> I'm also very fortunate to live in a very quiet part of town, yeah. which not everyone is. So that's yeah. it's not universally true. So I'm thinking. But don't you feel like when you walk into a quiet sendo, it's like <sighs> it's just such a he used the word luxury. I hadn't thought of it as luxury, but it really that really ring true to me oh yes thank you so eve online has her hand hi yeah well i i have a practical question i was yoshin i was interested to hear you say you had tinnitus because i have a friend that has that 
And he said, he said, like, you know, during most of the time he can like he's learned to ignore it. But he told me he can't meditate because he said when he meditates that that's all he can hear. So I just wondered if you had like advice for him. Yeah, I would say stick it out. You you get used to it. It just takes, it's like a skill you develop to tune it out. Uh, I did have problems um, earlier. I had meditated before I had constant tinnitus. You know, when it first started, it was periodic. It would come and go. And I had meditated before that happened. So I already had, you know, a way of a way of meditating, and then I had this new thing to deal with. Uh, but I think it just, yeah, it's it's very difficult. But uh, I, I I would say um, perseverance. It's <laughs> not very helpful. <laughs> It will, it will get better. I, you really do learn to turn it out. It, I think it's a skill. I would call it a skill. You learn to just not pay attention to that thing. It's, I'm sorry. Well, well, like, do you, like, focus on other things? I mean, like. No. No. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, you start with your breath. So on other things. If, if that's what you mean by other things, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I have sympathy for him. It's very, it's a, it's a bad thing. <laughs> I keep looking. That there's Every now and then you hear someone saying, oh, they're going to figure out how to deal with penances. But so far, so far they haven't figured anything out. I wanted to make a comment and I can't find my hand thing on this computer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to speak up. Uh, Laurel, I, I mean, Gyoshen, I wanted to say thank you. You're a really good storyteller. Um, and I find silence extremely important to my mental health, um, and helpful to meditation, but also I have tinnitus too. And, um, it's funny because I didn't even think about it a lot until I was in the audiology department for an ear infection during like the half during COVID. And um, I started using earplugs and it caused an infection. I had to stop and, and she did this test and, and said, you've got tinnitus. And I, it's like, I knew I'd had ringing, but I didn't know at that point how much it was different than what other people hear. Um, but I find that I don't think about it that much. It helps when I'm, you know, like I'm listening to people a lot when I'm focusing on what somebody else is saying. Like when I listen to your talk, unless I think about it, I'm not aware of it. Um, but I don't know that. Yeah, I guess I'm lucky and it might not be as loud for me as it is for some people too. But, um, I've, I think silence is important, and I think um, 
it is upsetting that we're losing it more and more um, because it's it's also seems important to a peaceful way of interacting or um, peaceful coexistence. Anyway, thank you for your talk. Oh, thank you. So when you first had the, the, the thing I remember is that it would, when it would come and go, when it would go, it was like, Oh, that's so (laughs) wonderful. So now it never goes. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, if you, I mean, I, so I don't have that uh, possibility of uh, of real quiet. I mean, even if I went back in the sensory deprivation deck, it would be there. I didn't have it then, so it would it would it would be with me. So, not going to whine about it. <laughs> and you're noticing it all the time. It sounds like. No, no, I, I've learned to tune it out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean you have. I mean, there's no. I mean, otherwise, you go crazy, right? Maybe I have gone crazy. Kyushin, <laughs> even if you've gone crazy, that was a wonderful talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. It just, oh, uh, yeah, the joys of silence. Um, but I wanted to comment because I don't think I have tinnitus. But I have this experience and, um, sometimes when I sit it was very much present this evening. Uh, and I I noticed it after I've been sitting for many years, but when things are very quiet, there's this little I hear it right now. It's this little vibration. I don't know how to describe it. It's buzzing exactly, but it's not absence of sound. Hmm. It's, uh, it's humming, and it's very pleasant. Pleasant. Oh, that's great. It's it's very comforting. This little fine buzzing. So I don't know. Uh, I don't. I'm sure it's not tonight. It's the like like what you or Kathy have, but there's a sound of First time I noticed it was when I was a teenager, and I thought it was the sound of sound or something. I don't know. Anyway, maybe you're tuning into the vibration of the universe. (laughs) 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 And maybe there was a time when I spent. uh, It wasn't one of those um, isolation booths or whatever you're talking about, but it was just. uh, under the influence of some significant um, uh, additional mind substance, I spent uh, several hours sitting in a dark closet, <laughs> and they're virtually black. And it was um, before I was ever set sausage, but it was. Um, I don't know if I heard the sound that, but maybe, but it was wonderful. Anyway, um, so yes. Noise pollution, the poor whales, the poor animals. Uh, one other story I, I was once in prison after a demonstration for a couple of weeks, and we were in this prison where there was a loud television going 24 <laughs> 7. That's like 
Um, yeah, <laughs> torture. But I don't know if there's such a thing really as silence. Right, I think that, yeah, there isn't. Perishing? Yeah. Um, fellow sufferer. <laughs> Ever since I, since I was a young kid, I've always had ringing in the ears, even now. And I've just learned to ignore it. There's sometimes it, you know, if I fight it, it just gets irritating. I just let it be, it is. Um, but one thing I'll say for silence, for those of you who want silence, just a little tidbit that I heard many years ago, the quietest place on earth is the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State, oh. in the rainforest, that they've had the audio equipment set up. And because of the trees and the moisture and everything else, it is actually supposed to be the, the quietest place on earth. So if someone wants to try that, Without without sounds of birds and things? I'm not sure. I just remember seeing it on, on a TV program. It was huh. just absolutely the quietest place on earth. But thank you for this, this whole thing about silence. And I know for me personally, uh, because of who I am as a person, the way I grew up and the things that happened to me, I have a tendency to try to talk and put out. And it's, I find great comfort going into the mountains and hiking in Japan. And just, just only hearing the wind. That's the only sound there was. And that was so, so connecting that I felt connected to the earth and everything around me, you know, to our earth and everything around me. So thank you for a wonderful talk. It really brought a lot of memories and a lot of insight to me. So thank you. Thank you. Ed, did you want to say something? You mean me online? <laughs> Are you talking to me? Yes. Ed online. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. So for the uh, for a time, I lived out in Edison Park off of Tui Avenue. And in the summertime, in particular, the jets from New York City and Boston and Philadelphia would fly in every three minutes. And they'd be quite low at that point because you're all the way out by um, west of Harlow. And they're really loud. And you just got used to it. You would just, you know, it was normal life. It, I mean, I never really objected to it. It wasn't something that I, I just thought, hey, you know, that's that's living in, near the airport. But when my South Side cousins would visit me and we'd be out in the backyard at picnics and so forth, they would not know to stop trying to talk when the plane was overhead. <laughs> they would keep going. And all my all the Northsiders already, we just without even thinking about it, we would just stop talking until the plane went past. And the and the and the planes really were were every three minutes, every three minutes during the day, more frequent than the blue line being on the platform were these planes. And um, so you could always tell the North from the South side. The south Siders didn't know to shut up when the planes were overhead, and you know pick up the conversation that plane had passed. And then years ago, 
the Gifter, which is a small state in Jefferson Park off Milwaukee, a fantastic group, uh, had this uh, monologue. He was a police officer or something with the city. He, he grew up in Jeff Park. And while he was on stage, every so often, plane would go overhead and he would shut up. <laughs> so I thought that was a brilliant recognition of place and time, you know, in terms of human patience. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that little anecdotal story about our relationship noise, which is sort of a cultural uh, agreement, if, if unconscious or conscious. Thank you. And thanks, thanks, Gil, for your talk. Yeah, I, I remember uh, when I lived in Ir- Old Irving Park, uh, we just knew on Sunday night after five o'clock, you just didn't go out in the backyard because it was always too noisy because of the every three minute thing. I mean, we sort of adjusted. That's what humans do. We adapt, right? That's why we're everywhere on the planet. We can adapt to anything. Yeah, they're here. But the, it is lovely. I mean, isn't it lovely in the quiet zendo? I mean, I, 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 I'm just so appreciative of it. I, it's like tears come to my eyes when I think about how wonderful it is to have a quiet place to go to.